Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Thanks, brother. Yeah, just in seeking the Lord as to what I should share here, this is the scripture uh, that I felt that the Lord gave me. But in in reading it, well, I, I read I read this scripture and it really blessed my heart, and I felt that the Lord wanted me to share it here. Uh, but the only person that I'm aware that really needed it was me. <laughs> um, I was very very blessed and really challenged uh, just in this short passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2 verse 19 Paul says but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state for I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state for all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ's Just those three verses. And I'd like to take four points out of, out of this passage, out of these three verses. Three little phrases. Uh, the first one is, no man like-minded. The second one is, natural care. The third one is, all men seek their own. And the fourth one, the things which are Jesus Christ's. I just want to touch on each one of those. There's a sad proclamation about the state of people. But there's also hope in those in these verses too. And I was I was really as much as I was challenged, I was also encouraged uh, in reading in reading and meditating on these verses. I was <clears throat> Challenged by the fact that Paul said that he had no man that was like-minded with him like Timothy was. He said, there's no one else that I have like Timothy who's like-minded with me in this, that he has a natural care for others. That's, that's a challenging thought that Paul had no one except Timothy that was like that. And then he gives the reason for that state. Why are things like that? is because people seek their own. People are seeking their own things and not the things that are Jesus Christ's. And so there you have the problem, but then at the same time, mixed in there is also the remedy. He says it's because they're seeking their own and they're not seeking the things which are Jesus Christ's. So I'd just like to to go over these verses and and just think together over these things because the, the realities that were in, in Paul's day are not much different than things, the way that things are in our day. And that's why so many of these scriptures are so, they're so practical to us and they're so timeless because people, it, there's a sense in which people are all the same. Um, I heard somebody say once, people change, but not much. And so people are, sure, people are different today than they were 100 years ago, but not, not much different. 
than a thousand years ago. Not much different. Human nature is still is still the same. But praise the Lord, God's promises are still the same as they were given back then. And they're for us now. So these words, some of these words might sting like a rebuke. Maybe to you like they did to me. But they also ring with hope. That we can be a partaker of the divine nature. Through through the promises of God by faith. And you know what? It's, it's amazing to me to think about the promises of God. It's amazing for me to look at what the scriptures say about Jesus. And who Jesus was. And to behold him. And to see him as he was, and to think that the word of God says that we, by the Spirit, are made partakers of that divine nature, and that anything that we see about Jesus can be made real in our lives. Because God is, by the Spirit, he's transforming us into his image from glory to glory. So the answer... Yeah, I believe that the answer to unchristlikeness in our lives when we see it is the cross. And it's a denial and death to self that is able to look into the face of the Father and with an honest heart pray, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. So Paul says here, he says, I'm going to send Timothy to you, Lord willing, I'm going to be sending Timothy because he wanted to know their state. And this is why he was sending Timothy and not somebody else. He says, because I don't have anyone else that's like this. There's no one else that's like this that has a natural care. He wasn't writing off every Christian that was alive at the time. I don't think he was talking about the Apostle John and saying the Apostle John doesn't seek the things of Christ. Uh, he's just seeking his own things. Um... Even further down in the chapter, Paul talks about Epaphroditus, who he had sent previously. He said, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. So Paul had previously sent Epaphroditus to them and it seemed that Epaphroditus was seeking the things of the Lord. He was laboring uh, for the Lord not regarding his own life. He was seeking the things which were Christ's. But the fact does remain is that Paul was saying, I have no man at my disposal. I've got no one, no one except Timothy that's like this, that will naturally, that he will naturally care for your state. And, and the truth was then, and I think that the truth is now, that there are very few, very few at the Lord's disposal who have a natural care for the state of other people. And I'm challenged by that. And, you know, and that makes me look at my own life and, and just think, Lord, do I have, 
Do I have a natural care for people? Some people are more um, geared that way. You know, like, like mothers towards their children. You know, really compassionate and care and care for their needs. But this isn't just, this isn't human nature. This is divine nature. This is part of the, the character of Christ, the care that Christ had for others. And Paul said, I have no man who's like-minded with me, like Timothy, except Timothy. And so, yeah, firstly, I just want to, to just stress this, uh, this point of no man, no man like-minded. And, you know, you find, you find it often in the scriptures, and you go right from the beginning of Genesis almost, and you see that those that follow God, those that are righteous, those that are really going after God are few. Only a few. The righteous have always been few. God's people have always been a minority. And I know that's not what Paul's talking about. He wasn't saying Christians are few, but those that have this, uh, this characteristic are few. But, but you see a theme in the scriptures like that, that there are few. In Genesis chapter 6, you read about, about Noah And in uh, Genesis 6, verse 9, it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And then in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And he destroyed everyone else, and Noah was the only one. In Genesis 18, you see Abraham, he's pleading for the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. And he, he's got this care, he's got this concern for, for these people. And he says, God, if there's 50 righteous, would you spare the city? And I'm not sure exactly why, but it seems that maybe he began to doubt, maybe there's not 50 righteous people. God, what about 45? What about 40, 30, 20, 10? And he was content with that at 10, but the Lord still destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and for Abraham's sake delivered Lot. Because there was, there was so few, there were so few that were really true to God that, that God had to destroy that place even though he said he wouldn't destroy it for 10's sake. In 1 Kings 18, you have Elijah. It's the one prophet of God against 450 prophets of Baal. Praise the Lord for the 7,000 that God had reserved to himself. But even among all that were in Israel, that was a few. Been challenged by Job lately too and been thinking about Job's testimony. Especially in the, in the, first, uh, the first chapter or two there in Job and how it says... How the Lord says of Job, I'm just going to read it so I don't say it wrong. But in chapter 1, verse 8, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And God said that I've got this one man, Job, and there's no one like him, not in the whole earth. Is there anyone that's like this? And it's a blessing that there was Job. And it's a blessing that we have that testimony of Job. But it's sad that there weren't others. That there was no one. No one that was like him. In Isaiah 59. God says that he 
sought for a man. And he looked, he says, I beheld and there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. God was looking for somebody in the earth and he couldn't find one. He couldn't find anyone that was like that. Uh, to one of the kings, God said, that is, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking for a man whose heart is perfect towards him, just so he can show himself strong on that man's behalf. And why is it that God has to search and search and search to look for someone? In Ezekiel, God says, I, I sought for a man to make up the hedge and to stand in the gap. And he said, and I found no one. <clears throat> You know, you find that there is, you know, what we've called mainstream Christianity, where most people, a category that most people fit into, and that if in the midst of that you really want to walk with God and you want to seek the Lord and you want to know Him and you want to walk in His ways, that even in that setting, you're often going to be rejected. You're going to be lonely. It's, a, it's, it's sad, but it's true. In, um, and then in Paul's own life, in 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he says, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Philagius and Hermonides. And then in chapter 4 of Second Timothy, verse 11, he says, only Luke is with me. In verse 16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. And so even in Paul's ministry and the people that he administered to and people that came to the Lord under his ministry forsook him and didn't stand with him. And he, and he had no man. He had no man t- that was like-minded with him. He had no person that would, stand, that would stand beside him. Jesus said, Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. He said, The harvest is great, the laborers are few. And there's always this, this lack. This lack, there's these, these few, there's few people. Jesus was also alone in many ways and didn't have people that were like-minded with him. People misunderstood him. People didn't share his burden. And in his weakest hour, even those that were closest to him didn't pray with him and they, wouldn't, they didn't watch with him and they forsook him. And, but seeing that, seeing that should never discourage us. And seeing those things don't discourage me. But it really does cause me to, to pray, God, I want to, be, I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those people. Jesus said, Jesus did say of his disciples at one point, he said, you are they which have continued with me in my temptations. I want to be one of those people. If there's, if there's few that are faithful, I want to be one of those. The love of many will wax cold. But that means that there's a few that don't. And God, I want to be one of those people. <clears throat> We want to, we want to, I want to stand up. I want to be 
I want to be faithful to God. I want to be faithful to his calling. I want to be faithful to his purposes. I want to be faithful to his word. So Paul says that those who genuinely cared for the welfare of others were few. And the same, the same is true today, that there are that, that, it is, that there is a lack. And I'm not saying in our midst. I'm, I, the, these things are all like just my own personal meditations in thinking and speaking generally that, that generally speaking, there are not many who care so deeply about the welfare of others that they're willing to sacrifice their own well-being for the good of others. And who, like Paul, would increase in his love to others while others' love was decreasing towards him. Not many, but God, God make me one of them. God make me one of them. So Paul had, he said, I have no man like-minded except Timothy. And so that, and to me, there's a blessing in that too. So he didn't have anyone except Timothy, but he did have Timothy. He did, he was like-minded with Timothy. And on just thinking about about this phrase, like-minded, like-minded, and thinking of how it says in Psalm, Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity, when brethren are like-minded with one another. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians, you read a little bit about about Timothy, 1 Corinthians 4.17. Paul said, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy was a faithful man. Timothy was somebody that Paul could trust. And he said, I'm going to send Timothy to you and he will bring to your remembrance. When you see Timothy, you're going to remember the way that I lived among you. And, he, and when he teaches, you're going to remember the things that I taught you. Because they, because they were so like-minded. Timothy, as a young man, began to travel with Paul and became a fellow laborer together with him. And it's interesting, I don't know if I'd ever noticed this before, but almost half of Paul's epistles are addressed from Paul and Timothy. Um, and then two of, two of them are addressed to Timothy. So a great, a great deal of, of Paul's epistles uh, involved, involved Timothy. It was Paul and Timothy. Whatever I'm writing here, this is from us. And even though it was Paul, Paul authoring them, Timothy is Timothy's name is right there too because these men are these men are like-minded and Timothy said to or Paul says to the Corinthians that when you see Timothy his life and his teaching is going to bring to your remembrance the things that I lived and the things that I taught among you in uh, and then in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 he says now in verse 10 now, if Timotheus come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. And he just had confidence. Whatever Timothy does, his work is in the Lord, just like mine. Uh, Paul, Paul and Timothy were like-minded. 
And he, he had absolute confidence that whatever Timothy was doing, he says, that he does what I do. What I do, it's just like him. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. The like-mindedness is in the Lord. When we're like-minded, it must be in the Lord. And that's how Paul and Timothy were. Um, I, think it's, I think it's in Ephesians or maybe it's in Philippians where, where Paul says, I think it was two women, I beseech Yodius, I, I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And it's not, it's not so important that we're just thinking the same thing, but that we're thinking the same thing in the Lord, that we're thinking the Lord's thoughts. And to become like-minded, our minds need to be changed. Our minds need to be renewed and transformed. And Jesus often had to correct people's thinking. Jesus had to correct the disciples' thinking often. I think it's in Mark chapter 10. Um, There's one instance after another, after another. I think it's four or five examples that it gives there where they come into some situation, the disciples think one way, and Jesus has to correct their thinking on it. That's not the way you think about it. This is how... This is how to think about it. Um, think of the, the Phoenician woman that, that came to Jesus, and she's begging Jesus for mercy for her daughter, and the disciples' thoughts are, send her away. And that was their, that was their thinking, um, because she's, she's a Gentile woman. Just send her away. And Jesus, in a sense, Jesus played along with with, with their thoughts, you know, and he ignores her. And then he, you know, kind of says, you know, I'm not here for you. But then he, he has compassion on her. He has mercy on her. The children, think of the children that people brought to Jesus and the, and the disciples sent them away. And it says that the Lord was sore displeased with them. God was, Jesus was so displeased with them sending, and he had to correct their thinking on that. <clears throat> Don't send the children away. Don't forbid them. Suffer the little children to come to me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And if you don't become like one of these children, you know, you think that the children are just going to get sent away. No, I'm telling you, if you don't become like these children, you can't come to me. Uh, a whole shift for them in their thinking. <clears throat> and then they, they come to that Samaritan town. And, who won't, and they won't let Jesus spend the night in their town. And the disciples say, Shoot, let's just call fire down from heaven like Elijah did. And we'll show these people what's what. And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. He said, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. And in all these situations, you see Jesus' care and compassion for others. And you see the disciples are, are making distinctions between people and favoring some people over others. And they're sending these people away and they want to bring judgment down on these people. And Jesus is constantly having to, to change their thinking. The man that was born blind, this guy is just an object of debate. Like, Jesus, let's talk about, let's talk about it. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? But Jesus said, no, it's not anything like that. And he has mercy on the man and he heals him. They, you know, they, 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 the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and, and Jesus says how hard it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. Well, who then can be saved? And Jesus has to change their thinking on that. You know, if who then can be saved? Almost anybody else, Jesus says. You know, like, but for a rich man, it's very, 
very hard. And, but the more that our minds are renewed and our lives are transformed to be like Jesus, the more like-minded we're going to be with one another. And especially, especially in this, in our care and our concern for one another. In the love that we have towards each other. And, and Paul says that, that charity, that love, is the perfect bond that bonds us together. Like-mindedness is something that was taught uh, Paul taught the churches to be like-minded with one another. In, uh, in Philippians 1, 27, Paul says, Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. <clears throat> And he, uh, he taught in Ephesians about maintaining the unity of the Spirit. So we all come into the unity of the faith, growing up, growing up into the person of Christ. He commanded unity. He commanded like-mindedness. I think I mentioned that scripture earlier. Yeah, in Philippians 4. No, it's not Philippians 4. But it was, uh, it was that scripture, I, I beseech Odeus, I, I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Is that Ephesians? Oh, no, sorry. I, I'm in, I have my Bible turned to Colossians. Yeah, Philippians 4.2. I beseech Odeus, I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Command. Just full stop. You guys get on the same page in the Lord. And it was exemplified in 2 Corinthians. And I really... Appreciate this example of Paul and Titus in Second Corinthians twelve. <clears throat> verse eighteen. He said, I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? And so he, he, appealed to the, he appealed to the example that he had set before them. Didn't we walk? Didn't we have the exact same spirit? Didn't we walk in the, in the same steps as one another? So it was something that he taught, that he commanded, that he exemplified in his own life. It was a like-mindedness. With, like-mindedness with his fellow workers. But our... Our minds need to be renewed. We need to change our thinking to be like the Lord's. We need to know the Lord and we need to walk with Him. We need to hear His voice. We need to obey His commands and become like minded with one another. <clears throat> and again, I'm not saying I'm not saying this is a big problem that we have here and I'm and I'm just and I'm preaching to that, but but I'm just thinking as I'm reading as I'm reading through this and as I'm meditating on this. I know, I know that we can grow in these things. I know that we can, we can mature. <clears throat> a natural care. A natural care. Paul says in this passage, in Philippians 2, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Somebody who will naturally care for your well-being. And, and just thinking about that, such a beautiful, a beautiful thing that this was Paul's desire 
for the Philippians that they would have someone with them that would naturally care for them. He didn't say, I've got no one. I have no one like Timothy who can just soundly rebuke you and set you straight. That wasn't his, that wasn't his desire for them. Some of the churches needed that, and Paul gave it to them. But, but his desire was to have this man among them. And I want to send this guy to you because he's somebody who will naturally, it'll just flow out of him, just flows out of his life like, like a river of water from his inner being, just a love and a care for your well-being. And that's, it's natural, but not, not humanly natural. This is supernatural. This is spiritually natural. Not human nature, but divine nature. Natural and nature. This is Christ living through this man. It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is a branch abiding in the vine and bearing fruit to the glory of the Father. There's a, there's a hymn that says, Behold the Lamb, know more than see, this nature I must know, to see alone would be a curse if only for a show. With tear-filled eyes, myself despise, and all for thee would give, to share your nature, taste your power, and in your grace to live. And so we, we want to we know the Lord, and we want to see him as he is. But more than that, more than that, we want to be like the Lord. We want to be like him. <clears throat> in Daniel, there's a, there's a passage in Daniel that I found very helpful. Just a simple illustration, really, in Daniel chapter 4. In the story about Nebuchadnezzar, and thinking about thinking about receiving a new heart from the Lord, and thinking about being made a partaker of His nature, you know the story of how Nebuchadnezzar had this dream—a dream about a great tree, and the beasts of the earth and the and the fowls of the air came and lodged in it and underneath it, and they received sustenance from it. And then there was a, a watcher, he called it, a, a holy one from heaven who came and told someone to, to, cut, to cut the tree down, to leave the stump of it until seven times would pass over it. And this is what he says in, um, I'll read from verse 13, Daniel 4.13. He says, I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed and behold a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts, of, beasts in the grass of the earth, let his heart be changed from a man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. And the fulfillment of that was that King Nebuchadnezzar, being lifted up with pride, was humbled, and he became like a beast, and he went out and he ate grass like an ox, and his hair grew, and his nails grew like, like eagle's talons. But why did he do that? 
Why did he, what made him just suddenly go out and do that? It says here, let his heart be changed from a man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him. And that's what made Nebuchadnezzar go out and do what he did, is because his heart was changed. God changed his heart to be like a beast's heart. And so he went out and acted like a beast. And that, that just gives me the shivers because I, think, because I think of those scriptures where the Lord says, I will give them a new heart and I will put my spirit within them and I will cause them to walk in my ways. And why is it that Christians' lives change? Why is it that your life changes? It's because you've been given a new heart. You've been given his spirit. The spirit of Christ now lives inside of you. And for me, that's just the most hopeful thing in all the world. To think of to think of the Lord's spirit being put within me and me being given a new heart. And so teaching about the divine life, teaching about the divine nature, teaching about being a new creature in Christ Jesus and, and the high thing that that is that should never condemn us. It should always be inspiring because anything that I see of Christ and anything I hear taught by Christ or taught by the apostles, those are all things that are within my reach. By faith, through the promises of God, those are things that I can have. And so when I, when I see something in my life that's not Christ-like, it's not condemning. It's hopeful that God is showing me, here's something in your life that isn't, that isn't like me. This is something about you that's not, that has not been changed into my image. And I can repent of those things. And by the grace of God, I can walk in newness of life. The new covenant is all about what God has made available to us in Jesus. And the fact that there may be relatively few that live out the life of Christ shouldn't personally concern us that, that somehow I'm just... Um, that it's just my law, my destiny to be the same. It's not. It's not. If we see an area of our life that's not like Jesus, we can yield ourselves in greater measure to him so that we can be filled with more of himself. We, we sing that hymn, All thy fullness thou art pouring by thy love and power in me without measure, full and boundless, as I yield myself to thee. And I really, and I really believe that that's key, is surrender. Surrender to the Lord. Greater heights of Christ-likeness are attainable, but often that means that there's things that need to be let go of in my life. And, and God is faithful to reveal those things to us. God can show us, God, is there anything in my life that, that I need to surrender in greater measure to you? Sometimes there's things that I've surrendered and picked back up. I need to let it go again. But we're growing. We're growing. And, and that's the thing, is that having a new heart isn't, just being zapped, but it is, it is being totally changed and transformed in my spirit. And now we can work out that salvation with fear and with trembling. It's there. It's on the inside. Jesus has done it. If any man is in Christ, Paul said he's a new creature. God didn't just patch him up. He didn't just reshape him a little bit. He's made him totally new. He didn't just cover him with Something, you know, like there, there's this idea of being covered in the righteousness of Christ and, 
God, when he looks at me, all he sees is the righteousness of Christ because that stands between me and him. But it's not like that. God, God changes my heart to make it pleasing to him. You know, and there was something, I think I, I think I read it by Watchman Nee. I think it was something that he had, he had written. But, but I also found really helpful that, there, that there's things that God has made true of our hearts. That it's real. It's real in our hearts. It's not just positionally that you're righteous. But in, your, in the very core of your being, in your spirit, God has made you that. And sometimes we don't see those things living out in a reality in our lives, but we can. In Colossians, just an example of that, Colossians 3.3 says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You are dead. We've died with Christ. You are dead. And then in verse 5 he says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. So here's the reality that's in your heart, and here's the command that you can go and live it out. And you, so you've, been, you've, been, you've died to all of these things. In your heart, there's a death. And now in, in, your, in your personal outworking, in your personal experience, you're not seeing that as being real, but you can. And those are things that an unregenerate person can't do. There's, the New Testament is full of commands that cannot be kept by the natural man. Be holy. Not just do holiness, but be holy is not something that you can do. It's something that you are. And so when God says to you, be holy, that's a command that by the Spirit you can keep. People try and try and try to be free from sin. And they do all sorts of things to to try and, and, and get victory over sin. And they make up rules and regulations and they have uh, patterns that they follow after. Um, and you're, there's always the next, you know, three steps to victory or whatever. But if the heart isn't new, you can't do that. You can't make a dog fly. You can't teach a dog to fly no matter how many lessons you give him. It's never going to happen because dogs just don't do that. Birds fly, and you don't have to give them lessons because they just, they just do it. Um, it's in their nature. That's what they do. And God has given us a new nature, and he gives us commands like that. You know, so now you, there's these sins in your life or these things that are unchristlike in your life. Just do away with them now. Just put off, put them off, and you just can. <laughs> and, I, and I remember that. I remember something specific. I, um, right, after, right after I was saved, there, there was something that had really plagued me, and, and I just felt very clearly in my heart, just one word, stop, and I just did. But I couldn't, I couldn't have done it before. And I had tried before, but I couldn't. And now the Lord just said, stop. And then I just did. Because that's what, the, that's what a new man can do. That's what the new heart can do. So the nature of Christ is obtained by faith through the promises of the new covenant. Peter says we're made, that through the promises we are made partakers of the divine nature that's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. <clears throat> yeah, like I said, it's not something that you're just zapped by. We grow. We grow. And we're being, we're being changed. And we're being transformed. And so we don't need to become discouraged with where we're at. God is teaching us. And God is growing us. 
And so when we've been given a new heart, God's commands can be obeyed. Commands to love one another. And we see these things in, in the life of Christ, this care that he had for others. Like, like for the leper that came to him, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And that he would reach out and that he would touch a man like that and say, I will. Be clean. And he was. The sinner woman. The sinner woman comes to Jesus and is washing his... Oh, if Jesus knew what kind of a man that was, he'd never let her anywhere near him. And Jesus had to change this guy's mind. No, I care about this woman. She's sinned and she needed forgiveness and I'm forgiving her. We see that kind of care in the life of Jesus and the love that he had. You know, and then, and then he gives a command, love one another like, like I love you. Love one another like you've seen me love people. And you think, man, like that's, that's an awesome thing. That's an awesome thing. And, it, and it's not something that flows naturally out of the human heart. It isn't. We'll see in a bit what does flow naturally from the human heart. But when we see that, we see that, that beauty in the life of Christ. It should cause us to long for that. Oh, I want that. No, more than see, this nature I must know. It's a love that we've received. It's a love that God has put in our heart. And it's a love that can, that can flow out of us towards others. Something that God has put within us. It's part of our birthright as a newborn child of God. And it's something that can permeate the rest of our living Jesus loved others even when they weren't fully committed to him. You think of the, the rich young ruler. And it was Jesus looked on him and he knew what was in his heart. He knew the covetousness that was there. It says, but he looked on him and he loved him. Jesus loved faithfully. It says that he loved his disciples right to the end. And he loved the unlovely. Others that people had rejected. Jesus loved them. And he commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners and while we were enemies of God, he died for us, the ungodly. <clears throat> Think of uh, how that was also uh, in the life of Paul. He said to the Corinthians, I will gladly, gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more I love you, the less I am loved. And his love for them was increasing and their love for him seemed to be decreasing. And he said, and yet, despite that situation, I would gladly just give myself for you. That's beautiful. Yeah, to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, Paul says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Oh, it's, that, it's such a beautiful picture, Paul ministering to these people. And just the, the care, they were gentle, like a nurse cherisheth her children. We were affectionately desirous of you. You were dear unto us. This was his heart towards the people that he was ministering to. Oh, not, not the gospel only. I would give you my, my own soul because you're so precious to me.
And we can have that. We can have that same love. The potential is there. The potential is there. God has put his love and his care within our hearts. The potential is there. The promises are ours. But back to Philippians. Paul says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state for, for this reason. I don't have anyone else that will naturally care for your state because of this, because all men are seeking their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ's. That is human nature. That is what will naturally flow out of the human. This is someone who is not fully yielded to the work of the cross. This is someone who's still seeking to preserve their own life, somebody who still loves their own life, somebody who still clings to their own wants, their own desires, their own wishes, their own plans. And they, yeah, I want to live for Jesus. And even sometimes in the midst of that, I, I, want, to, I want to minister for God. I want to be the person on the front lines. I want to... You know, and it, and it can be, I want to be the person that's talked about. I want people to recognize me, and I want people to recognize the things that I'm doing for the Lord. You know, and, it's, and it, it, can be, it can be so subtle, you know, that even in our desires for ministry, um, we're seeking our own. And there, and there was a lot of people like that, even in the scriptures. You know, the, you've got this guy, um, who was it, Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them. And that was, <laughs> there he is, in the church, and he's exercising all kinds of authority in the church. We're going to excommunicate these people and we're going to reject the words of the apostles. And, and he's, he's there in the church, but he's seeking his own. You know, I'm willing to, I'm willing to follow Jesus and I, and I want to live my life, but, but there, I've got these few things that I still want to hold on to. I've still got, I've still got this, this plan, this desire that really if God was to ask me to give it up, I'd have a really, really hard time doing it. Seeking our own. Not willing to bear the cross. Not willing to suffer. Not willing to be inconvenienced. And you know what? We, we live in such a... In a society where we're so used to being... Convenienced. That it becomes really, really difficult. Um, being inconvenienced. And... Um, uh, even living in Thailand... Um, we're not living it rough there, but things are really different, and people act different, and stuff like that. And sometimes it can be it can be annoying. And I'm I'm kind of I kind of use that as a gauge for myself, <laughs> you know, like um, how much do these things irritate me? You know, when when I've got to wait a long time, and um, <clears throat> you know, they're driving and, and stuff like that is sometimes really difficult. Except for after we came back from Nepal, then it then it seemed like we were driving in Canada, <laughs> in Thailand, but. Um, but, you know, but, and, and sometimes the paperwork and the things that they require of you, it's like, this is over the top. And I remember one time I was at the immigration office and uh, they, they said, well, we can't process your paperwork because you need, we need this paper and you have to go and get it from your consulate. And I was thinking, like, I've never heard of this before and I've never had to do something like this before. Um, and 
So I called the consulate and they said, well, we can get that for you, but we're about to close and it's going to cost you money and all that. And they said, but we'll stay open late for you. And so I rush out there and I pay the money and they do this thing and I rush back to immigration because they're going to close and finally get there. And it's a different guy behind the desk now, but I hand him all the paperwork. And then this thing that I just rushed out and got, he said, yeah, I don't need this. And he hands it back to me. And I'm thinking like, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's being inconvenienced. Um, but yeah, how much, yeah, but how, I'm not saying that those things are okay. They ought to change those things. But, but when I am inconvenienced, what does that do to me? You know, and how much am I still really attached to myself? And how much do I really love my own life? That's just a little example. But, there, but there's other things in life that people, do, that people do to us. And it irks us. Uh, I think I, I mentioned, I don't remember when it was, but I talked about, you know, sometimes I feel like somebody's done wrong and I feel like I need, I feel like I'd really appreciate an apology. You know, I really, I feel like I'd, I'd like this person to realize what it is that they've done to me and I'd like them to make it right. And I remember Martin saying, yeah, that's, what did you say, that? that's human. <laughs> um, yeah, it is, it's human. And how much do I love myself? How much do I still hold on to my own life, my own reputation? Sometimes those things are really difficult to die to. And, but you know what? The Lord is so gracious. And, and like I said earlier, these are things that we grow into, and these are things that the Lord teaches us. But, he, but the grace is always there. The life is there. Like The potential is always there to be walking in victory and to walk in the life of Christ. And God, God can bring circumstances into our lives, and God does bring circumstances into our lives to teach us, to shape us, to mold us into the image of Christ. But the thing is that we need to yield. We need to yield to that. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if there's some other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. If there's some other way. I remember one... One missionary sharing, saying, and it seems that we've found another way. You know, Jesus prayed, if there is some other way, and oh, we found it. You know, and it's, and it's this path where I can still hold on to myself. I can still, I'm going to do the will of God, and I don't have to suffer too much. I can still hold on to some of my own life. But it doesn't work that way. And we, we're seeking our own when we hold on to our lives as something precious and we feel like our own hearts are something to be guarded. We've got our own dreams and wishes and our own plans to fulfill and we want to some, sometimes want to incorporate the will of God into that if we're spiritual, right? Some people just do it just outright. I'm here to do my own thing. Um, yeah, sometimes we'll make it really spiritual and I want to do the will of God but I'm going to do it my way. And I think of how the, the children of Israel in the wilderness, they lusted after things, and the Lord gave it to them. But it says in the Psalms that, they, that he granted them their request, but he sent leanness to their souls. And that's what we're going to end up with. And, and it's so counterintuitive to human reasoning. You know, we, we, we feel like if I get what I want, I'll be happy. But you're not. You get what you want, and you're miserable when you're seeking your own. The most miserable people in the world are always selfish people, and selfish people are always miserable people. And so we get, we get, sometimes we'll get the things that we want and we'll, 
we're seeking our own things and we're, we obtain them, but our hearts are still hungry and, and still thirsty. And if we don't learn, we'll still just keep, and people do, just keep pursuing after that, their own things. And they don't know that Jesus satisfies. There's people that wandered about, they dwelt in caves and they just wore sheepskins and goatskins and they lived in deserts and in dens of the earth. And the world wasn't worthy of those people. And many of those people were fulfilled. The disciples were arguing among themselves. You know, even all the way up till the cross, they were arguing among themselves, which of us is going to be the greatest? Just seeking their own things. And all they, they had a lot to learn. They had a lot to learn. But the cross did a work in them. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and made partakers of the, of the divine nature. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. And that's difficult to do, especially when it costs us our own. You know, it costs, we have to sacrifice our own to live for the good of others. I think it was uh, to Timothy, Paul said that, that in the last days, he talks about men are going to be like this and like that and, and lovers of their own selves. They're just going to love themselves. And that, and that goes to show you that, that the love of self is actually something that's wicked. It's actually something that's, that's sinful. And it's part of the Antichrist. To live, to live for ourselves. But contrarily, we're called to love one another and to increase in our love. And that we're supposed to love one another fervently. Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said that I don't need to write to you to teach you to love one another. He said, your God is already teaching you that. But, and then he says it anyways, but love one another more. Romans 15.3 says that even Christ pleased not himself. There's more to that. To that passage. We then, in Romans 15.1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. So the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. That's why you're strong. To bear the infirmities of the weak. Not to please yourself. God doesn't give you gifts for your own self-benefit. And so let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, always seeking others, 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 that they would be built up, that they would be edified, that they would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened, that they would be doing well. Think of um, scripture where, where Paul says, uh, that he sought to present every man perfect in Christ. And, that, and he, was, he was looking to, to each person. He knew that one day, every soul that I'm ministering to is going to stand before the Lord one day. And I, want, and I want them to meet the Lord with joy. And so he was always seeking to build, to build them up, to strengthen them, to encourage them. So they could be presented perfect in Christ. Also in, also in, the, in, the, in Philippians 2, where where we've been reading from 
Philippians 2, verse 9. No, that's not it. Well, I can't, can't see it right now, but he says, let each esteem others better than themselves. And that's not, that's not something that you can do naturally. That's not something that you can just conjure up. That's not something that you can just work up in your own heart, that I'm going to esteem others better than myself. The human heart is so bent towards self-seeking, towards self-exaltation, self-preservation, You know, um, most of us have been have been privileged, like to grow up in Christian homes, and we've been kept from so much. You know, a lot of us have been kept from getting into a lot of really terrible sins, and so on. But but the, but this thing has to be dealt with. This this thing of of self has to be dealt with because when push comes to shove, every single one of us. Every single one of us has gone our own way. And every single one of us would say, if we were pushed into it, we will not have this man to reign over us, crucify him. And many of us just haven't been put in that, in that position. But that heart is there. That heart is there that would preserve self. Thirteen. 2 verse 3. I had written 2 verse 9. Thanks, brother. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Yeah, and that's not, that's not human. That's not human. That's, that's divine. To really, honestly, truly do that with no, with no mixture of, of pride, with no mixture of self-seeking in it. So many... You know, and you see celebrities and people like that. It's kind of an extreme, but they'll they'll do that and they'll they'll put it out on social media and they'll put it out on the news. You know that they gave so much money to charity, or they did this good work, or they went and helped in this disaster relief, or whatever. They went and visited the the poor in Africa, or something like that. And there, there's pictures of them with, you know, in, at the orphanage or whatever. Those are extreme examples, but we we would tend to do that on a probably on a smaller level. That's the human heart. All men seek their own. All men seek their own. But what, what does Jesus call us to? Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And as the Lord shows us these things, God, God's grace is there. The life of Christ is there. The power is there to put those things to death, to put those things off, to put off the self-life and all of those desires and to really honestly follow the Lord and to have his life flow through us. And that can happen to us more and more and more and more. By that same spirit, we're changed into his image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And that's it's possible by the spirit of the Lord to be changed into that image and for me, that's exciting. And not the things which are Christ's. So they're seeking their own and not the things which are Christ's. <clears throat> Paul says to the, to the Colossians, seek those things which are above and set your affections on things above. 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is the opposite of self-seeking, is obeying Christ's command to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. First, he's first, and everything else is last. It's putting your hand to the plow, and I'm not looking back for anything. We're going full tilt for Jesus. It's losing your own life. It's leaving everything to follow Jesus. It's like, it's like realizing that there's something that hinders your marriage. And you get rid of it. You get rid of it for the sake of that relationship. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Are you willing to forsake all others and follow only me? And this is... This, this, the things which are Christ is paralleled here in this passage with naturally seeking the welfare of others, having a natural care for others. He said, Timothy will naturally, naturally seek your good. Other people are all seeking their own, and they're not doing this. They're not seeking the things which are Christ's. These two things in the scriptures are so intertwined. The things which are Christ's and living for others. John John says that somebody can't say that he loves God if he doesn't love his brother. It's impossible. He said that this is one of the the, the primary marks of a Christian. Has your life been changed? Do you say that you know God? Do you love others? Do you love your brother? If not, you can't say that you know God because this this is the thing. God is love. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, because God is love. If we're, if we're living a life for God, if we're saying that we're knowing God and we're, we're being changed into his image, if we say that we know God and that God has changed my life, this is going to be, this is going to be primary in your life. This is going to be one of the, one of the first things that comes is that God gives you a love for the brethren. <clears throat> James, James says, you're, you're going to prove your faith by your works. You can't say, you can't see your, your brother naked and destitute of daily food. You can't say to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. He says, how dwelleth the love of God in you? How can you say that the love of God is dwelling in you if it's not flowing out to others? We seek Christ, and as we seek Christ, we get Christ's heart for others. And it's inescapable. Christ didn't live to please himself. Christ was, Christ was Paul's example in spending and being spent for the good of others. Christ made himself poor so that we could be made rich. When, when we seek Christ, and, when we're being, and as we behold him, as we behold him, we're being changed into his image. And even if we make Christ our only, and we ought to, make Christ our only vision, the only thing that we see, it's going to flow out of our lives, it's going to transform us, and it's going to flow out of our lives in a natural care for others. And that's something I, I, so, I so desire um, and even experiencing pain and disappointment, even at the hands of others, has really made me check myself and, and to see, do I really care? 
do I really care for others? Do I, because it's very easy to, to see a hurt when somebody does it to me. It's more difficult to see when I've done it to others. And I have to stop and think, and I've, and I've had to do this often. When someone does something to me, I often think to myself, is this something that I do to others and I don't realize it? And sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's true. Yeah, you know what, I have done that. I've done that same thing to other people in a different way. And it looked a lot better when I did it. Um, but, but it was true, and it was there. And, and yeah, and you know what, this is something that I need to, I need to bring before the Lord, and I need to see, I need to see the Lord's character. And I, oh, I want to be changed. And we can be changed, and we are being changed. And it's exciting, and, it's, and, it, and there, there's, so much, there's so much hope in all of that. Um, you know, the world, is in, the world is in such a tizzy... And things are just getting crazier and crazier. Um, but there's so much hope. There's so much hope because of how God can transform a heart and how God can transform a life. Um, yeah, it really is a miracle and it really is amazing. The things which are Christ's. And the key is Surrender. When I'm willing to give up, I'm willing to give up those things that I've been seeking. I'm willing to give up the things that pertain to myself. I'm willing to give up uh, sometimes even my own reputation in the eyes of other people. I'm willing to give up my desires and longings. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And sometimes we've been hoping for something, but it's not Christ. And we've got to, we've got to let go of that. And sometimes that's painful. But then we get new desires and new longings that God fulfills, and it's a tree of life to us. But we've got to let go. There's a, there's a poem, I've probably shared it before, and I wouldn't even remember all of it now, but part of it says, One by one he took them from me, all the things I valued most, till at last I was empty-handed, every glittering toy was lost. And the last verse says, Then at last I comprehended with my stupid mind and dull that God could not pour his riches into hands already full. And, you know, just this idea, you know, that we're, we're holding on to things that are, that are naturally precious to us, our own life, our own dreams, our own longings and desires. And God, God asks us, just let them go, and you need to die to those things. And sometimes that's difficult. But when we do, the, the riches that God can pour into our life are not worthy to be compared with the, thing, with the things that we've given up. He's worth it. He's worth it. <clears throat> two verses up, further back, in verse 17, Philippians two seventeen, Paul says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. If, if I myself am just going to be offered up, offered up to God for you. And I think uh, in, in Ephesians, Paul talks about that. He says, but be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. For a sweet-smelling savor. This is, we are giving ourselves as an offering to God for others. We're to love 
We're to walk in love like Christ loved us. He's given himself for us an offering to God. And that's what Paul says here too. The Philippians, that if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. So he says, I have no man like-minded. No man like-minded. Those people are few. Those people are few but precious. No man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Natural, like a supernatural, like spiritually natural. New man natural. Naturally care for your state. And because, because these things flow from the Spirit, they're possible for us. For all seek their own, which is a natural human propensity. It's a natural human problem that can be cured by the cross. Not cured, I guess. Done away with. Made dead by the cross. So we can thoroughly... Seek those things which are Jesus Christ, which is going to result in, in lives that are lived for others. In natural care, the care of Christ for them. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your precious promises. Thank you, Lord, for your word that's true. And Lord, sometimes we... If we look on ourselves, God, we can become discouraged or overwhelmed. But Lord, may your word be true and every man a liar. God, we want to take your word, we want to take your promises, and we want to behold you, Lord. We want to have a single eye and a pure heart towards you, God, and be changed into your image, your glorious image, your beautiful image, your holy image, Lord. Jesus, fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Make us, Lord, all that we can be, the side of eternity. Lord, for the glory and honor of your name. Amen.